0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through this three-week series, we're turning to the biblical book of Isaiah to discover how God's holiness, forgiveness, and love compel us to share Him with others. We'll come face-to-face with whatever's keeping us from answering God's call, as Isaiah did, send me. Amen, well, good morning, Woodside. It's great to be with all of you this morning. Uh, It's been a fun and enjoyable morning so far. I love uh, the livelihood of the congregation here in Chesterfield, and uh, it's a privilege to be sharing God's Word together this morning. You guys excited to get into God's Word? We're in a series in our second week here at Woodside called Send Me, and we're looking at Isaiah chapter 6 together and the prophet Isaiah's... Uh, vision and picture that he got of the throne room of God. And we're talking about being sent by God in light of who God is. And uh, it's a privilege to be here this morning. I'm a part of a ministry here at Woodside called the Global 100 that I'm one of the pastors of. And our Global 100 ministry seeks to raise up a hundred missionaries who feel sent by God to the far places of the world. Uh, not just to our neighborhoods and our backyards, but all over the globe. And even to places where there's not churches or the name of Jesus hasn't been proclaimed. And so it's a privilege to be here and even in this scripture this morning and in this series of Send Me in Isaiah chapter 6. I was on a mission trip a few years ago to Liberia, Africa. And we have a partnership uh, in West Africa, uh, in Liberia. And I went there with some guys to uh, share the good news of Jesus, and to minister to that community. It's a a very poor, impoverished community there in West Africa, and our partner there is Kim Smith. And the guys and I went with Kim Smith on one of our mission trips uh, in country to a refugee camp. We were going to show the Jesus film that highlights the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And uh, we were all set to go on this trip to the refugee camp. We ordered a car and the car was coming. And well, one of the things with Liberia is uh, it was rainy season. And so just as the car was coming, it was just downpouring of rain and we said to ourselves, you know, should we even go? We had kind of had this on the calendar in the week where we were going to go to this refugee camp of people who've been displaced from other countries who live in these poor, impoverished conditions. We were going to give them the hope of Jesus through this Jesus film. And we said, let's just go, let's just pray and go and see what happens. And we set off to this refugee camp, and the rain didn't let up, it got harder and uh, we got to what's like this checkpoint area before we got to the refugee camp and we had to get out and show them some papers and explain to them that we were going there and we're just getting soaked. Like it's pouring rain and we're thinking, we're gonna try and show a film, like an outdoor film in the pouring rain. Like we're a little bit crazy here, but let's just keep going. And uh, part of this is I think the partner there, Kim Smith is an amazing man of God, this missionary. And one of Kim Smith's sayings is, he says, I wake up in the morning, he lives in West Africa, Liberia and he says the windows open cool breeze coming in and I say with a cup of coffee in my hand in Liberia if heaven is this good I would be satisfied and he loves doing ministry and missionary said we got to go let's go and so we went and it's still raining we get to the refugee camp and moments before we pull in the clouds parted and the rain stopped and we were able to go show this Jesus film I tell you, it was amazing as hundreds of people from this refugee camp came to watch the film, men, women, and children, and they were literally sitting in puddles, in mud puddles, watching this film. And it's a, it's, a, it's a film that's been produced years ago, and it's maybe not the, me- the best quality of cinematography. Uh, it's a little bit older, but I got to tell you, it's an amazing scene as many of these people who didn't know Jesus and who were looking for a hope behind what they could see as they saw this man Jesus perform miracles when he caused the blind to see, they would applaud they would get excited. As he caused the lame to walk, they would stand up and start to cheer. As he taught with authority the good news of why he came in his kingdom, they would cheer. And it was such an amazing scene as they're watching this unfold. And we're sitting back there watching them engage with the story and life of Jesus Christ that he dies. And they're literally weeping as he's dying on the cross. And then we know the story three days later and they're seeing it live and in, in maybe below average quality of movie, in the what had just been pouring rain, mud, covered, and they see him rise from the dead, come out of the tomb, and it was as if, like, I don't even know if I should compare, it like, but like the Lions winning the Super Bowl, or like the greatest thing. They were literally like running up and down, applauding, cheering, because they knew here God came to earth and offered them something. They saw a picture, a glimpse of someone who could offer them not money, not education, but love and forgiveness and a relationship that's offered to everybody through his death, burial, and resurrection. This is our God that we serve and we worship. Amen? And this morning, we're looking at a picture from the prophet Isaiah that he gives us. Now, this is the Old Testament, which predicts and shows us the coming of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And in this picture and portrait, we get, as we started last week in seeing, a picture of the throne room of God. So join me, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 6. As we read the first eight verses together this morning, we're going to look at, what Isaiah saw in this throne room and the experience that Isaiah got in that the forgiveness of God compels us to go. The forgiveness of God transforms our lives. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1 In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. This is Isaiah speaking. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go. Isaiah chapter 6 is a beautiful picture of the throne room of God and the prophet Isaiah's response to the holiness and presence of God. It's an amazing story and uh, as last week we started to cover, we noticed the context and situation that Isaiah finds himself in. Verse 1 tells us that it's in the year that King Uzziah died. And King Uzziah had been the ruler and king for over 50 years in this place and had been ruling and reigning uh, the people, uh, God's people, uh, which uh, had been divided into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom, and he had been leading this kingdom. But at the end of his life, he was uh, turning astray from God. King Uzziah had developed leprosy and uh, he had turned from God at the end of his life and King Uzziah, as he was ruling and reigning for 50 years, had provided a level of stability for the Israelites, for God's people. This is the leader, this is the king who had been in power, who had been reigning for over five decades. So no doubt, they had a level, a level of security, of stability, knowing that if foreign enemies came in, if uh, the situation arose with food that they needed strategy for, that they had a king and a leader who could help them. But Isaiah is pointing out a couple things as we start and look into this passage this morning that we see that he's died. The earthly king has passed away and so now there's a situation and circumstance that God's people find themselves in of uncertainty not sure what may happen next. Their leader has died. Their transition is before them. They're vulnerable to threats, to attacks. And maybe you're here this morning as we dive into God's text and you might be in a situation where what you thought was stable, whereas you thought life was going in one direction, things have completely taken a turn or been redirected. Where what was once steady or secure in your life is no longer there anymore. Maybe you find yourself A little bit shaky or unsure of the future. Well, here's the good news this morning is that Isaiah's task wasn't to point us to an earthly king, but Isaiah saw, as we see this morning, a heavenly king who's not like any earthly king that comes, dies, and passes, but who, as we sang about, who is faithful, who is always faithful, and who is with us to the end. He's not a king who slumbers or sleeps, not a king who's distant or dead or dormant. He's a king who's present right here, ruling on his throne, interceding on your behalf, sovereign, wise, and in control. Aren't you glad that we have a heavenly king who's with us this morning? And we look to him in this text, and as we talk about forgiveness, again, we just are going to briefly cover, as we talked about last week, that Isaiah, as he experiences the forgiveness of God, he first sees the holiness of God. He sees the majesty of God as the throne uh, is covered with the train of the king's robe. As he sees the seraphim coming to touch his lips. Before that, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. There's a picture of God's holiness and majesty. Not like any leader or created thing because God is our creator. That's what it, in many ways it means to be holy. It means to be set apart, not like anything in this creation, created world, not like any human being. He is our creator outside of space and time as well as inside it. at the same time interceding for us. He is holy. And in many ways that word holy serves as a superlative or a over-exaggerated accurately adjective of everything you think of about God. Now, what do I mean by in that statement? It's that as you think of God's majesty or his power or his wisdom or his love, you could add that word holy to it, meaning that his love is not like any love we've experienced here in this earth. You could add that word holy to his wisdom, meaning his wisdom is not like just the wisdom of someone who's maybe been a few years past above you. We're grateful that Pastor Vince has shared his wisdom with this congregation and experience of decades of ministry. But we know that he has a holy wisdom bigger than any even earthly wisdom could give us. It's a holy power that he has as he's seated on his throne that he meets you with when it feels like your back's against the wall. We have a God who's holy, unlike any created thing. We have a God who's holy, holy, holy. We're going to talk about the prophet Isaiah and his experience and response to this holy God. But as we see from the text, there's these angelic beings who are crying out about this holy God. There's seraphim who, in this incredible picture, have six wings. And they're crying out to God and worshiping him as these angelic beings. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And not only are they like crying it out, but it's as if they're like, speaking it to each other like we are in his presence and he is holy. He is holy, holy. He is beautiful. He is majestic. We are enjoying him for who he is. We're describing him as beautiful before us. We're not here to get something from him, but we're here in his presence because he's worthy of worship. You know, sometimes when we think about God, we can falsely look at the characteristics and nature of God and forget that he's holy. And so we could project maybe our own morality or humans' fallen morality and think, well, maybe God isn't a God with holy goodness. Or we look at broken love around us or wisdom and we could project that onto God. Here's the angels reminding us that God is holy and he's holy, holy, and we can enjoy him for his beauty and his splendor for who he is. He is holy, holy, holy. If you had those experiences, it's like when you, when you hear that song that you love. When you put on that song that you love, that you're not using it for anything, you're just putting it on your favorite song or a song that you enjoy because the music is beautiful. Or think about the food that you like, not just that you have to eat or you know the rushed meals that we find ourselves in, like a meal that you just really enjoy and you savor. And it's not for anything other than just enjoying that moment and that meal. Here's the angels giving us a picture of how we should look to a holy God, of just enjoying him and his beauty for who he is and what he's done. He's a holy, holy, holy God. Think about it. It's kind of like saying, you know, like a circle is round or a knife is sharp. It's like he's holy, holy. Uh, I had some friends, we were out to dinner. This was a a while ago. We kind of had this running joke. We were, someone asked our, our buddy, how's the bread? And he said, the bread is very bread. This bread is very bread. God is God. He is holy and unlike anything in this world. And the prophet Isaiah has this picture of God and it completely reshapes his life because he has a living encounter with a uh, transforming encounter with God as he experiences God's forgiveness. And God's forgiveness in light of who he is and his holiness compels us to go. And we see that Isaiah has this response in light of God's holiness in verse 5 where he says, Woe is me for I am lost and i am a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts he responds as so many others do when they see a glimpse of the lord with fear and recognition of their sin in the old testament there's many a few cases of god revealing a glimpse of himself to people but in god's holiness and might he can't fully reveal himself to anybody because his glory is so great that they would die And so there's a fear in response to getting a glimpse or a picture of God here. And God's purity is breathtaking to see, but it also exposes Isaiah's impurity, his shortcoming. And that's what holiness does to us. It's what majesty and glory does to us. I remember playing baseball when I was younger, thinking I was pretty good. I played JV ball. Uh, I thought I was pretty good in junior high. I loved playing baseball. And I remember in, in uh, middle school playing and, you know, kind of being maybe better than some of my peers and thinking, you know, I went to a Tigers game. You know, I think maybe, hey, I could do that, right? From a distance as I'm sitting there, I see the Tigers and the pitching and everything from far off. I'm like, I think maybe I could do that. And then I remember one day my dad, who's a varsity baseball coach, invited me to varsity baseball practice, and as a 12-year-old, I went to watch these 17-year-old guys practice and play baseball. And the pitchers were throwing faster than I could ever imagine up close. I was right in the room, like right here with them. And it was like I didn't even want to catch the ball. It hurt my hand so much. And the batters, when they were in the batting cage, like if I got in there, I'd be lucky to get it to the back of the net. They were literally hitting the net with so much force that it was moving the net backwards. And I saw myself in the presence of their Holiness, if you will, of their being greater than me. And I was like undone. I was like, I thought I was good, but here they are. And it's amazing, there's two significant things when we think about God's forgiveness and receiving it that Isaiah shows us in Isaiah chapter six in this picture. And it's that we need God's forgiveness for all of life, but that includes in what we think of our good deeds and our bad deeds. What do I mean by that? See, just as I saw as a junior high or a picture of these varsity baseball players, and I thought I was good, in their presence, I was like, I'm not good. Here's Isaiah, who's a prophet. Who's a man who speaks God's word, who uh, is sharing God's word to God's people. And he's really, you know, already five chapters in, sharing God's word, thinking this is who he is and what he's all about. He's a prophet. But then in the presence of God, what does he say? He says, woe is me, for I am lost. And that phrase, I am lost, is also a phrase in some translations that says, I am undone. And in many ways, what Isaiah is saying here in the presence of a holy God is that what I thought made me who I am, like preaching and being a prophet and being able to speak God's word to others, like that falls short. Even the best of me that I bring to the table falls short in sight of a holy God. What Isaiah is showing us is in life, sometimes there's things that we do or things that we have that make us somebody. And these are sometimes things that become um, functional saviors or false idols in our life. There are things that we prop up that give us an identity outside of God. It could be things like our career or the work that we've been tasked with. It could be our physical appearance or being liked or related by other people. It could be our finances. It could be our status. It's something that when we talk with someone out to dinner and we're meeting someone, we're having a conversation. It's, it's when we falsely think this makes me who I am. This is what I'm known by. And what Isaiah is showing us here is that we need God's forgiveness for all aspects of our life, for where we fall short, but also where we think we got it all together. Because in light of a holy God, even where we think we have it all together is really self-reliance, self-righteousness. It comes from wrong motives and it's in need of God's transforming grace. See, it's that we need to give God our bad deeds but also our good deeds. We just need to give him our whole life and surrender to him because when we're in his presence, we become undone. And we say, woe is me. I give you my life, Lord, and I want you to use me and transform me. And this is a glimpse that Isaiah had. And what our call is, as we look to God, is that we need to receive his forgiveness. See, without God's forgiveness, we'll always be hopelessly chasing after utopia or things of this world. And for those who have received the forgiveness of God, we can still go looking uh, sometimes to other throne rooms for other kings to fill up our hands with things we think will deliver us. Those are those false idols. And no matter what, everyone in this room, we need God's forgiveness for our good deeds and our bad deeds. Why do I highlight our good deeds this morning? Well, I think sometimes coming to church, we think it's maybe just for people who have screwed up big time. People who are broken and in a mess. And yes, that's all of us. That's what the prophet Isaiah is showing us is we're all broken and in need of his rescue. But it's even the good things we think that we bring to God, we are in need of his transforming love and grace. It's maybe why the prophet Isaiah wrote in, later in, in, his, in his book uh, that even our righteous deeds are like that of filthy rags before God. See, because we, he wants to transform everything about us as we experience his forgiveness and grace. And this is what we all need, is that we need his forgiveness. And we see this now as as now Isaiah kind of gives this confession, this surrender. Woe is me, I'm lost, I'm undone, God, in your presence. And how does God respond? One seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for these seraphim's with this burning coal represents in many ways fire represented wrath and what isaiah is showing us is that god is as he as isaiah repents and gives his life to god and says i'm undone i lay my life at your feet god responds with forgiveness and atonement it says for his sins You know, later in the New Testament, we see the picture of God and who he is and the redemption and forgiveness that he wants to offer in each and every one of us. And it's why he sent his son, Jesus. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he, that is God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because God's love and holiness, because of his love and holiness, Jesus came with a message and a mission and to ultimately give his life for yours and for mine, taking your place and my place on the cross. Why? Because we can't do enough good to get to God, but also there's not enough bad things that keep us away from God in light of the cross. See, what is the cross? It's God's holiness on display as his justice and his love is in a picture of Jesus Christ whose arms are spread wide. God doesn't just overlook your sins and say it's no big deal. He says, I will send my son to take your place and my place and die the death that you deserve and I deserve because our sins separate us from a holy God. But in love, God made a way. And aren't you glad that he offers us forgiveness through Jesus Christ, that we give him our whole life? It's not, Christianity isn't a message of, of, of do better, of try harder, of, of give God your own righteousness to get in. It's that Jesus pays it all on the cross for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 verse 24 that we've been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. There's that word atonement again, found in the New Testament, offered for you and for me. And it's through the shedding of Christ's blood to be received by faith that he did this to demonstrate his righteousness continuing in Romans 6, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Have you received the free gift of God's forgiveness in your life by faith through grace? By grace through faith? Have you received God's gift of forgiveness? We don't strive to earn it. We don't work to earn it, but it's freely given to us by the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what transforms us to then go. It's God's forgiveness that transforms us. It's God's forgiveness that we ultimately need. Um, I've heard it said in a saying that our greatest, if our greatest need had been information, then God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, then God would have sent us an economist. But our greatest need is not any of these things, but it's forgiveness and love. So God sent us a Savior as His Son so that we could experience eternal life and forgiveness through faith in Him. Have you received His forgiveness? And have you depended on it today again, even if you received it in the past? See, God's forgiveness isn't just a static one time thing that we did but it's a continual dependence on his grace and mercy to live our life. And sometimes I think preachers can think about this message and, or even just as we talk about pursuing forgiveness or holiness and can say, um, you know, here's, here's 10 steps to live a more holy life. Or here's five ways to give out more forgiveness, to be a better forgiver. Here's how you can do more to get to a holy God. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the good news of Jesus is. It's not what we do to get more of a holy God. We can't enter his presence on our own. So the message this morning isn't what you can do to get more forgiveness, to to get into the presence of God, a holy God, how you can work harder, you can try harder, how you can do more. The message this morning is that a holy God has come for you. There's a picture of a throne room that the the author of Hebrews gives us. And it says this, that there's a throne room of grace that we can approach boldly. Aren't you glad that we have a throne of grace that we can now approach boldly? Aren't you glad that it's not up to us to become more holy, to enter into God's presence? But a holy God stepped into his creation in Jesus Christ and dwelt among us and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and ultimately died the death that we deserved on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And if God has reshaped your life with his forgiveness, then now we must share that forgiveness with the world. It's our call and commission to now be sent by God to share this forgiveness. But just as it didn't start with our own efforts, it's not up to us to share forgiveness to the world by just being fault finders and finding people and ways that people have screwed up and are wrong and point those things out. What we're called to do is to now share the redemptive message of Jesus Christ to the world around us and to show them the same love that has transformed our life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We're called to share God's forgiveness with the world. And it's what Isaiah said in response to this transforming work of God as he touches his lips and purifies him and makes him guiltless and atones for his sins. He responds by saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. See, God's grace and forgiveness transforms us as uh, to paraphrase what one pastor from New York, Tim Keller, says, to recognize that we are more sinful than we ever could imagine, and it humbles us, but it also emboldens us because we are more loved than we could ever dare to dream. Do you have that freedom from forgiveness and grace? Then now we're transformed to share that with the world around us. Three practical ways we can do that out of the transforming work that Jesus has done in our life. The first is this, is that we can pray. We can pray for the world and what God is doing in all nations. It's interesting, as Jesus talked about prayer in Matthew chapter 9 and commissioned his disciples to do his work, he said prayer is the first task. That's why we're called to pray and on Thursday we're praying together and why God wants us to depend on him in prayer as we rely on his grace and forgiveness. Jesus says this in Matthew 9, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Pray. Maybe this week, God wants you to add a missionary to your prayer list. Uh, maybe this week it's during family devotions or time with your spouse where you're talking about God and God's Word to add a time of prayer to that element. Maybe it's before you go to bed or when you wake up to pray not just for your day independence, but for God's work in Chesterfield, for God's work in your businesses, for God's work in the surrounding areas of Metro Detroit, and ultimately for God's work all over the world. We may not be able to be there. God may not call you as a missionary to physically be in another country, but we partner with God's service all over the world through prayer. And secondly, Jesus calls us and God calls us to give. We can pray and we can give. We can support the mission that God is doing through all our partners. As last week, you were given a a handout that listed all our partners all over the world. And we can financially give to support God's mission and build his kingdom to see his glory cover the earth. As we think about the stats that three billion people have yet to even hear the name of Jesus, See, we drive, you know, I drove here uh, from Troy and past many churches, from Troy to Chesterfield and Metro Detroit, we're blessed to have lighthouses and where God's word is proclaimed and God's people live. There's people in the, uh, in the world that have never even heard the good news of Jesus, who have never heard about his forgiveness. And we can partner by, by praying and by giving. And finally, maybe God is calling you to go. Maybe you're a young adult or a high schooler thinking about what's next for me. Is it college? Uh, Maybe you're uh, just here and you're wondering what is next for you. May I encourage you to consider going yourself to go on a short-term trip with one of our mission trips that Woodside offers, to maybe consider being a missionary as your full-time life, to go and say, Jesus, I see you as my worthy king and I'm not going to live to build my kingdom here and potentially the American dream, which not to speak down on us who are living for God here in America, but maybe God is calling you to go to the ends of the earth. Well, we at Global 100 are raising up 100 next gen- generation missionaries in the first Saturday in June. June, I want to invite you to something called Discovery at our Troy campus. And at nine in the morning, we'll be meeting at our Troy campus to talk about global missions and if God may be calling you to the mission field. It's not a commitment but an exploration opportunity and there's more information in the back. Well, in conclusion, I want to share a story this morning. As we think about sharing the forgiveness of God and receiving the forgiveness of God, we have three gals who are going on global internships for seven months with the Global 100. And one of their destinations is Africa, and the other destination at the tail end is the Middle East, where they'll be ministering to people who need Jesus. And it's an amazing opportunity for these girls. And we had a meeting with them, And uh, we were talking with them about the things that need to be in place. You're a missionary. Here's what, you know, kind of some of the the boxes that have to be checked, you know, shots to get, things like that, uh, finances to raise. And, uh, you know, we're talking about getting visas. And in order to get visas, you have your passport, which is, you know, crucial for a missionary to travel to another country. We're talking about getting visas. And one of the girls spoke up. She said, Pastor Scott, uh, I lost my passport. I can't find my passport. Now, that's pretty crucial to be a missionary, and you kind of need your passport. And I thought it was funny, you know, we're talking to her, and we're uh, talking about, okay, this is what we can do. It's okay, you know, God is still calling you forward. It's okay that you lost your passport. But sometimes I thought about life, and sometimes it feels like in life God's calling you somewhere, but you lost your passport. God's calling you to share Christ with your neighbor or with someone down the street or someone at work, and it feels like I'm unequipped. I don't know what to say. I don't have boldness. I lost my passport. God's calling you to give or to do something or step out in faith and it feels like I lost my passport. May I encourage us this morning that we go to a king and his throne and we approach it boldly because of his grace. And grace is undeserved favor. It's where God meets us in our faults and shortcomings and brokenness with an unconditional unearned love that is secure for all times, past, present, and future because of the work of Jesus Christ and his spirit and how it lives in us. So think about being a missionary and stepping out for God, if it feels like I lost my passport, there's good news this morning. Because Jesus has made a way for us. And it's not up to us to figure it out, but it's to surrender to him again. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.